0: Hello Bethel Church family. I hope you had a happy Easter. I was encouraged to hear from many of you that you enjoyed the home worship recordings for Good Friday and Easter and it was great to hear uh, how you enjoyed them and how you celebrated Easter on this very different year. I wanted to offer another word of thanks Uh, for continuing to worship God by sending your offerings, either in the mail or through online giving. Uh, We have been encouraged by your continued support of the church and giving of tithes and offerings to the Lord. And so I wanted to say a special thank you for that. At this time, would you join me as we come to God in prayer? Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to pray to you to lift up our requests to you and know that you hear us. And yes, we long to be together in the same room where we can gather and pray together as the body of Christ here at Bethel. And so, God, we do pray, though we are separated by time and space at this moment. We ask, O Lord, that you would hear our prayers as your people and hear them in the name of Christ. God, with the pandemic still going on in our world, we do continue to pray that you would slow the spread of this virus, that your healing hand would be upon the world, and that this virus would come to a screeching halt by your power. We pray, O oh God, that you would continue to be with the healthcare workers who are diligently serving and putting themselves at risk to care for those in need. We pray, O God, continually for our government leaders at both the local, state, and national levels, that you would give them wisdom and patience, O Lord, as they seek to lead and to care for the people under their care. God, we ask that you would bless them and to know when we can continue with normal life and when we can resume things that we desire to get back to, O God. Help them to weigh all of the variables and to make wise decisions. Lord, we pray also for those in financial distress and affliction, and we pray for those who are jobless and worried, O God. We pray that you would provide for them out of your bountiful resources. And Lord, we lift up uh, so many in our church and in our community that are suffering in many ways. I pray, O God, for those who are separated from loved ones. I think especially of those of us who have loved ones in nursing homes or care facilities that we are unable to go see. I pray, O God, that you would be with those in the nursing homes and care facilities and let them know they are still loved and not forgotten, even though we cannot see them. And I pray for those family members unable to go and feeling that sense of distance and isolation from them. I pray that you would comfort them and support them, O God as they are distressed by not being able to see those whom they love. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with feelings of isolation and depression that seem to intensify in this social distancing. Lord, I pray that you would shine light into that darkness, that you would help them to sense your presence as they feel alone. And Lord, I pray that you would uplift and comfort them and may they find joy in you. Lord, I pray that as we are isolated from many others, I pray that You would use this opportunity for us to see our own sins. So often when we are surrounded by other people, it is easy to look at the sins of others and not look at our own. But when we are locked up at home, isolated, we start to see that the sin is locked up with us because the sin is within us. And we, O oh God, are sinners. And so use this time for us to repent of our sins. Show us our sinfulness as we are quarantined and social distanced from one another. And help us to repent and to turn to Christ, Lord. Help us to seek Your Word and to study it, to read it, and to look for You in Your Word, O God, not just in these home worship times, O Lord, but throughout the week. Father, we pray for Your continued blessing on our church that You would help us to feel united even as we are separated physically. And so, Lord, as we do that, we come to You in prayer, praying together the words of the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father, in these uncertain times we are hopeful for good news we hope to hear that the virus is not spreading as quickly around the world we hope to hear that fewer people are dying from it we hope to hear news that some semblance of normal life will return soon We want to be given reason to hope, especially because these times have been quite difficult for many of us. That was very much the situation of Isaiah's audience in Isaiah chapter 54. The nation of Judah, who was God's people, had been spiritually deteriorating over generations. And God announced through Isaiah and other prophets that he would be sending his people into exile, evicting them from the promised land because of their sins. Now, when Isaiah was writing, this exile had not yet happened, but it would happen. And so this people needed some good news as they were about to go into exile. And Isaiah provided it by announcing that one day they would return from exile. But more important than that geographic return home, Isaiah announced that a servant of the Lord would bring God's people home spiritually. Chapter 53 of Isaiah that we looked at two weeks ago announced how this would happen. That the servant would suffer in place of God's people to atone for their sins and restore them to God. And so chapters 54 and 55 follow that glorious passage of Isaiah 53 that pointed us to the sacrificial death of Jesus. These two chapters, 54 and 55, are filled with good news that flow out from the servant's death. And so this week we're going to look at chapter 54, and next week we're going to pick up with chapter 55. So if you have your Bibles at home with you, would you please open up to Isaiah chapter 54. We'll be looking at the whole chapter, verses 1-17. through 17. Isaiah 54, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities." Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your Maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is His name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth He is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment, I deserted you, but with great compassion, I will gather you in overflowing anger. For a moment, I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of a gate, your your gates of carbuncles, and all your wall of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be satisfied, you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and that you speak to us. We thank you, oh God, for comforting us with your word and providing it to us. And I ask, oh God, that you would use me in spite of my sin and my weakness to proclaim your word. And though we are not in the same place or listening all at the same time, I pray, oh God, that your spirit would still work through this message, oh God, and through the word of God to open our hearts and minds to hear what you would have to say to us through this passage today. So, Lord, may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, as we think about this good news in Isaiah chapter 54, I want us to be thinking about relational security. Relational security security, that we find relational security in the Lord, and that sustains us through whatever afflictions or fears we may face. And so as we think about the security today, I want us to look at the source of our security, consider some of the blessings of this security that Isaiah mentions, and then I want us to think about how we live securely knowing we have this security. Well, the primary image in the first six verses of chapter 54 is that of a barren woman whose husband has left her. In ancient times, for a woman to be barren and without a husband was to be without security. Now, we may not feel that way today in our world, but in those days, women needed a man to provide for them. The primary provider would be a husband, and in the event that a woman's husband died, her sons would provide for her. One example of this situation in the Bible is Naomi from the book of Ruth, who was totally dependent upon others when her husband and her two sons died. Well, in this chapter, Isaiah uses this image of a barren, deserted woman to describe God's people. Remember the context of Isaiah, that God's people were declining and being sent into exile as punishment. And so you could say that they were barren because they lacked a future. That they were decreasing in power and population and would be sent into exile. You could also say they were without husband. Not because their husband had died, but because God had abandoned his unfaithful wife. God had turned his face away from his sinful people in justifiable anger. And so God's people were left feeling disgraced and ashamed of their sin, seeming to lack any security for the future. But Isaiah delivers good news to this desolate people that they do have security because of the servant's work described in chapter 53. And so Isaiah tells this barren woman to sing. He tells this deserted wife not to fear because her security is found in her husband. For your Maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is His name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, And the God of the whole earth, he is called. Though his people had sinned against him, the Lord shows them great compassion. He does not desert them. But why would he do that? Wouldn't a husband be justified in forsaking his wife if she had unashamedly gone after other men? Well, Isaiah tells us why the Lord did not give up on his people, and the answer is found in his steadfast love, as we read in verse 10. Now, I normally do not like talking about Hebrew or Greek words because we usually have good English words to translate them, but this is an exception. Perhaps the biggest exception in the Bible, because the Hebrew word for steadfast love in verse 10 is very difficult to translate. The word is hesed or chesed, but I don't want to splatter spit on the camera, so we're going to go with just hesed. And it can be translated in many ways, one of which in the ESV is steadfast love. But it is also translated just love or loving kindness or mercy but it means something like covenant love. That love which has been pledged by someone and is then faithfully demonstrated in both feeling and action. That is hesed. And it is how the Lord feels towards His people. This covenant love, this hesed, is the source of security for God's people. So often we look for our security in other places, in our financial stability, in our good works, in our reputation, or in the strength of our own faith. But those things cannot provide security in all circumstances because we will face external suffering that we internally will struggle with our own sinfulness And so Isaiah points us to the only source of security, and it is God's covenant love for us. Just as this barren woman's hope was not in herself, in her beauty, or her love for her husband, so also our hope cannot be in ourselves. That the only reason the Lord shows compassion to His people is because He is compassionate. And so as he tells Judah, Even if she is unfaithful, he will remain faithful. Even if he was angry for a moment, he will not turn his face away forever. The Lord says that he will never let his hesed depart from his people. And he compares this promise to the promise he made to Noah in our Old Testament reading from Genesis 9. Just as God swore to never again flood the earth in His overflowing anger, so also He would never take His covenant love away from His people. Those words also echo Psalm 46, our call to worship from our home worship packet, about how the mountains may fall or move, but God will never stop showing compassion to His people. God wants to emphasize that he is their source of security because of his covenant love, his hesed towards them. And so Isaiah goes on to describe the blessings of this relational security in God's covenant love in verses 11 through 17. And he does so with a new image. He puts away the husband and wife imagery of verses 1 through 10 and he picks up the image of a city in verses 11 and 12. But it is no ordinary city. It is like the city from our New Testament reading in Revelation 21 and 22, a city made out of precious materials. This city is not where the people reside. This city is, is the people. Just as the barren woman represented all of God's people, so also this precious city represents all of God's people. So what does this image of a bejeweled city tell us? We get some hints from the opening verse in verse 11 here, where God says, O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, to be afflicted conveyed a sense of destitution, of hardship, and poverty. It wasn't so much physical pain as it was the pain of a hard life. And to be storm tossed or not comforted presents the image of someone battered by their circumstances without a safe place to hide. And so, with those words in mind, the image of this city of jewels conveys two primary blessings here in Isaiah 54 the precious value of God's people and the protection that God provides for them. So first and most obviously, the precious stones convey a sense of value and worth. That though God's people experience affliction, Isaiah tells them they are precious in God's sight. Yes, they may be living through hardship, but they themselves have value in their relationship with the Lord. How so? How do they have value? Verses verses 13 and 14 tell us. It says, all your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established." Isaiah describes a blessing worth more than foundations of sapphires, worth more than walls of rubies. Of far greater value is for your children to be disciples of the Lord. For those of us who are parents or grandparents, I imagine one of our greatest prayers is for our children or grandchildren to know Jesus. While we would love for our children to succeed in the world, what we desire more than that is for them to learn from the Lord the value of peace and righteousness as described in God's Word. To know that God's commands are not meant to rob our lives of joy, but to instill in us true and lasting value of far greater worth than a city made of precious gems. And so being in this relationship, this security of God's covenant love instills in us value beyond measure because of what the Lord does in us. The second blessing conveyed by the image of this bejeweled city is the protection provided by God. That if God builds something, not only will it be valuable, but it will be sturdy and solid. Notice the emphasis in verses 11 and 12 on God's building activity. I will set your stones. I will lay your foundations. I will make your gates and all your wall. This sturdy structure is meant to represent the protection of God, which is described for us in verses 14 through 17. God's people do not need to fear oppression or to worry about strife because the Lord has not only crafted the city, but He is the maker of all the earth. The very weapons carried by enemy soldiers are made by smiths. And who made the smiths? But God Himself. God is trying to show them that everything is under His control. Everything belongs to Him. And so he assures his people that no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. The protection being described is not a protection from every difficulty or every form of suffering. Rather, it is protection from breaking the covenant love of God. That there is no weapon that can be forged, that can sever the covenant love, the hesed of God from his people. You see, we know that he will never let that hesed depart from us. And if that is true, there is nothing that can separate us from him. That was a huge lesson for God's people to learn as they were about to be sent into exile that no matter the affliction they would face, they were still in God's sure hands because their enemies were under God's control. And so we're shown that true protection does not come from an absence of problems, but from the One who lovingly protects us through all circumstances, whether those circumstances are exile or pandemic. That the Lord forms His people and promises to protect them in His covenant love. That relational security that we have in God's covenant love is for His people. It is even for those of us who feel barren and deserted because of our own shortcomings and sin, who feel like it's not true of us because of our suffering. We need to hear verse 2 because it gives us hope that there is room for the suffering, the afflicted, and the sinners. God says to His people, "...enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes." Isaiah gives a vision of the barren woman needing to make a bigger dwelling place for her children. That woman represents God's people and Isaiah is saying that the tent flaps need to be opened. The tent stakes need to be reinforced because God is expanding His people. He is extending His covenant love to the nations, to those who are not descendants of Israel and Judah. And He is saying, come into the tent and receive the steadfast love, the covenant love, the hesed of God. So how do we enter that tent? How do we receive the covenant love of God? We read in verse 17, This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Summing up this entire chapter, Isaiah says this is the heritage or the inheritance of the servants of the Lord. By this, he means the relational security of God's covenant love and all the blessings that go with it. That that, that covenant love, that relational security is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. That means we do not earn it. That means we do not deserve it, but it is our heritage. It is something we inherit as a gift from God by faith. Okay, so how do we inherit it? Well, we must be servants of the Lord because it is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Up until this verse... We have been hearing about the importance of the servant of the Lord, the ideal individual. Isaiah had been talking about how the servant would come and save his people. But now, because of what the servant has done, God's people can be called servants. With the faithful love of the Lord who is our husband, we can experience the relational security of knowing that our sin will never cause Him to abandon us. We get to hear the promise of verse 9 where God says, I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. The only way that God can say that to sinners like us is if his anger has been satisfied in another way. And that is what Isaiah 53 told us. The servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ, suffered and died in our place for our sins so that the wrath of God was poured out on him instead of on us. Christ took all the overflowing anger of God towards our sin and He took it upon Himself. Like the floodwaters in the time of Noah, God's wrath against our sin was poured out on Jesus and there is nothing left to pour. And like the safety of Noah's ark, we find safety in God's covenant love given to us through the servant's sacrifice. Only then, by trusting in that work of the servant, having received that relational security of God's love, can we truly live as God's servants. Only then can we live securely, knowing this is our place and it cannot be changed. Only after the Lord pledges His hesed to sinners like us can we respond in loving obedience and service to Him. That will be the focus of the remainder of the book of Isaiah. How the work of the servant makes it possible for sinful people to live as servant people. It will be the focus next week of chapter 55. But for today... For Isaiah chapter 54, let us sing and rejoice in the security of God's covenant love for His people. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 puts it simply yet beautifully that God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the story of Isaiah 54. Of the woman deserted for her sins being called back into the loving arms of her faithful husband. Of the crumbling, rotten city being lavishly rebuilt by the sure hands of God. It is the story of our closing hymn, Amazing Grace. How once we were blind, yet now we see. How once we were lost, but now we are found. Christians, hear the good news that we can find security in a relationship with God because He initiates that relationship in His covenant love. Love that is seen most clearly in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so if you feel that barrenness, that desertion, that affliction and lack of comfort, if you feel your own sinfulness and you lack security in this uncertain world, find your home in the enlarged tents of God's people. Enter through the sparkling jeweled gates of the city of God. No matter what your struggles are, no matter what sin entangles you, no matter what your present afflictions, let us find our security in the amazing grace of God. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to know God's covenant love. Lord, help us to know how you are faithful to us Help us to be wowed and amazed that you, O Lord, pledge your faithful love to sinful people like us. And you can do that because of Jesus. You do not simply overlook our sins and let them slide. No, our sins had to be paid for and they were. And your overflowing anger was poured on Christ. And so, Lord, help us to see that security we have, that nothing can separate us from Your love. Help us to know the joy and delight of Your peace and righteousness. And we pray, O God, for our children and grandchildren. We pray for the next generations, O God, that they too will know this peace. For Your covenant, O Lord, is not only for Your people, but You say it is for You and for Your children. And so, God, we pray for our children that they too would know the security that we know. And we pray for those who lack security in this life, that they would hear the good news and repent of their sins and find the security in your covenant love for us in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.